Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I am Stuart Roberts and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me, See Me. It's just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is uh, Stuart at Hear Me See Me podcast. And today I've got um, a wonderful woman on who who is actually a, a family member of mine, but she's got such an incredible story. I want to share it with you all. Uh, today I've got Kathy Brown, ex-professional boxer. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Stuart. You all right? <laughs> I'm very good. Okay, without me going on too much about it, I, I'm just going to get you to go straight into, um, you know, your boxing story, but also what put what brought you into that as well. Right, it's like where at the begin, isn't it? Really, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shall I start from the beginning? Yeah. Um, so I, basically, I got into boxing. Um, I was in quite an abusive relationship when I was fifteen, sixteen. I've gotten involved with this older guy and I didn't know any different and I literally at that age I had no confidence whatsoever people look at me now and go I can't believe you were never uh, confident but what happened was because I'd been adopted and I'd had sort of and back in the 70s people just don't talk about stuff everything's brushed under the carpet so I'm dealing with all these emotions on my own so I actually grew up really, really unconfident and didn't really feel I belonged anywhere and didn't feel worthy. Um, unfortunately, I got involved with this uh, older guy when I was 15 and um, he played on that lack of confidence. So I ended up being staying with this guy who was immensely abusive for about a two-year period. He's just, I used to just get a slap for, I don't know, not not doing what he told me to do or I had to go home and cook some tea for my dad coming in from work and I, I used to follow me home and it was just mentally and physically abusive and it went on for a two-year period and then I eventually went to university to study photography and I give um, I give the story to sort of one of these girls that I'd met and she sort of made me realize that it wasn't right that that was in the sort of relationship so I ended it um, and anyone who's out there who's listening who's been in a domestic violence relationship knows at that point there is when when it's the worst. So that's when he got busy. He used to wait for me and, and the darkness and try and break into the house when my mum and dad were at work at night time because they were on shift work. Um, and this went on for quite a while. And then eventually um, I didn't manage to escape him. And then he ended up uh, raping me quite badly. So that's when I left home. And uh, I would live brought up in a little small village in the northeast, as you can hopefully tell from my accent. Yeah. And um, so basically I left home at 17, 18, sorry it was, because I was I didn't know what else to do and I, I couldn't really speak to my mum and dad about it. I didn't want them to give me up because they'd adopted me and give me so much. 
So I kind of, you know, you kind of run away in embarrassment because you, do, you don't know what else to do. So luckily, um, I was already studying photography at Newcastle Uni and my photography uh, lecturer there told me to go to another college. So I went down to Cheltenham and Gloucester. <laughs> it was the furthest, furthest university that I could find that was away from it all. So then I started a kind of new life down there and I, I did like two years um, at Cheltenham and Gloucester and I was quite... Um, I called myself assertive, <laughs> um, but many others would call me angry. Um, so uh, I had a little bit of a temper. I was, from, to be fair, I had a temper from being a little girl. I used to smash, smash stuff up in the house all the time for no particular reason. So obviously, again, got no one to speak to about it. So there's no outlet for, for that anger and no outlet for that emotion. Because one, you don't understand what it is. And two, you don't know how to to get rid of all that emotion. So, um, again, this guy said, look, you're a little bit angry. Um, I think you should start kickboxing. I was like, oh, God. So I went to this kickboxing class with him and um, to try and show off a little bit as well, to be fair. It was a little bit of ego involved in that. And actually, I ended up loving it so much. And um, I felt so powerful when I came out of that. Not that I could knock people out, but it's it's you become this internal sort of power, and you you feel back in control almost of everything. So I got quite addicted to that. So when I moved down to London, I I, I kind of carried on kickboxing and Thai boxing. I started fighting, um, not on the street, uh, in the ring, and um, it just the exercise and the training. It it gives you a discipline. It gives you a focus. And also what it does is it gives you this natural exercise, gives you this natural sort of um, tunnel to be able to, to express how you're feeling. You're able to talk about things. So I started to be able to talk about things that I've been through. And when you start to talk about things, you you'd kind of desensitize things, as you know. And because when you're holding things together, I was finding when I'm holding things in all the time, it becomes so toxic. So this expression of how I was feeling, this expression of what I've been through and telling my stories to people and then and going hand in hand with the exercise, with the kickboxing where you're, you're punching people, people in the face <laughs> and, and you're punching pads and stuff. And then you, you kind of get rid of, get rid of all that anger Um, and then you're able to start to then to control your emotions more and I can't say that I control my emotions like now still because I'm a human being so I still lose it now and again Um, but I'm in much more control than I was when I was younger so anyway I'd had a few I had about 25 kickboxing fights and I was undefeated and this one is a promoter that had seen me fighting kickboxing and I could kind of have it. So she said, <laughs> yeah. said Daddy, wait, well, fight. Why don't you turn, get your boxing license and turn pro? There's only one other woman in the country that's got it, which is a lady called Jane Couch. She was the first woman to, uh, to get a professional license in the UK because it was really, really sexist back then. Of course, and, yeah. Um, Basically, they were like, men were like, ah, women shouldn't be allowed to box. They should be in the kitchen, yeah. in the bedroom, all that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, so, we, so she thought through. I'd gone um, in to get my license second. I got my license, turned pro, and it, it, then it became serious because I give up uh, my job. Because when I came to London, I got a job with the Met Police. 
So I used to um, be a forensic photographer. So I used to photograph um, abuse victims, mainly because oh, I, um, I was only a couple of women on the police force on the photography unit. So I used to get a lot of the abuse and raped um, victims, um, murder, yeah. things like that. So I've, I've seen, I've worked there for six years uh, with the police and I've seen some amazing things with the police and it really kind of opens you up to what really happens behind closed doors. You yeah. know, a lot of us just, a lot of people just hear stories. Or, I mean, for me, I've been through um, quite a horrible time with it. Um, but to see sort of other people going through it behind closed doors um, is, is quite an eye-opener. So, yeah, I, did, I gave up my job as a uh, forensic photographer to get my professional boxing licence. And I felt that... I loved sport so much and I loved punching people in the face so much. I decided to give up my job. <laughs> so I could punch people in the face as a profession. And it kind of set the ball rolling for the, um, the old boxing. Obviously, I loved it. Obviously, it gave me amazing strength and it gave me this sort of inner empowerment, which was second to none, to be honest. And to this day, I'll say I'll never, ever, ever find anything that boxing gives me that, that that strength and that adrenaline that you get from boxing. You will never get yeah. it for anything else, especially when you're competing at a high level. Yeah. So then there was a big battle, sort of, and I got my name and shame with people like now who is now Kelly Maloney, who was Frank Maloney, oh, Frank know, yeah. Warren, all of them arseholes. Can I say arseholes? Yeah, um, none, none, none of them, none of them would put me on their shows because they were just like, right. yeah, "We should be allowed to box. We're not putting women on our shows." Yeah. You know, you bring, you bring like boxing down. You know, you're damaging the boxing reputation. Yeah. Blah blah blah. You're too pretty to box. All of that. Pillar. I went through oh, yeah. like, right through my boxing career. So I end up, <laughs> I end up um, kind of making friends with all the um, the gangster guys like um, the. The Joey Piles and Freddie oh, Foreman's and Dave um, yeah. Courtney. Now they have they used to put on these um, professional boxing shows, dinner shows um, back in the day, like the Grosvenor House and places like that. It was wicked. Yeah. I've um, been to one of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. We they used to fight on those shows. That that was the beginning of my career. Was fighting on all these um, cigar fuel gangster right. shows and. Um, that was it, yeah. They were brilliant. I'm just the guy that did. I'm just sorry. I'm just laughing because you brought me right back. That was I was drinking then. So I ain't drunk for 14 years, but that was that you took me right back to a <laughs> night. It was horrendous, and I took what is on because <laughs> I used to I used to be like think I was like it's the only time I was ever thinking I was brave. You know what I mean? And the uh, the ability didn't match the bravery in them days. <laughs> and it was not a good idea. And I actually had this. Um, I remember I'd, I woke up next day and, and I had I was I had a pee next to Henry Henry Cooper. Oh, I went to the toilet. Yeah. Henry Cooper speaking, and I'm I'm actually at the urinal next to Henry Cooper, drunk out. Me. You know, in the next day you think, oh please, I hope I didn't say anything really stupid. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, splash it all over Henry or something. You know, like <laughs> pee on his shoes. There you go. Have a bit of that, son. <laughs> so. I'm really with you on that. So I've got I've got the complete atmosphere in my mind, and you're all oh, boxed in a way. Sorry, yeah, please carry yeah. on. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. But if they were, they were mental, and, and actually, like, yeah. I'd be in the ring fighting, and I'd be fighting with probably you, Stuart, yeah. um, kick, kicking off in the crowd because they've watched yeah. a bit of boxing, they've had too much food, yeah. and they think yeah. they're invincible. Yeah, that's the one. 
with an argument over football or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it used to happen all the time. Like in the crowd, yeah. we used to kick off. And, but obviously, the gangster shows less. So because obviously they used to get it under control quite quick. Um, yeah, but the open show, it still happens now in the boxing shows. I was at um, the Chris Eubank um, fight and um, they were kicking off left, right and centre because people were just yeah. off their chops on Charlie and oh. alcohol and, and then mm. everyone's just thinking they're invincible. So like, you know, I could ask it back in the crowd going, you lot haven't got a clue. If you were to get, come up against someone who can fight, you are knackered. Yeah, the one thing that's almost stopped me going or anything because the 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 the, the thing of selling booze at boxing fights and I, I like the going to the um, MMA fights and the problem you get is just it, as you say it's full of tattooed fuckwits they get mm. completely pissed and they're not there and after the time they're there to be seen and they turn they they're in the bar they're in I the think, bar. I'm there from the first fight, the minute mm. the door's up, the minute the first fight has come out, I'm, I'm there. And normally I'm sitting right in the front row because all the people who have paid a thousand pounds for a ticket are all in the bar till about the last two fights. Yeah. And I, I politely go, oh, sorry, is that your seat? I'll do apologise. And I'll go <laughs> back to mine at the back. But, you know, like, it, it, they're not there. They're, they're, they miss so many brilliant, brilliant fights. And then they're not there, though, are they? Quite a watch. It stinks of beer. And then, mm. you know, it just, it, it's just, they've, they've got a, well, they won because they make the money, but it, it ruins it for a real pure fighting fan. Yeah. That's I, the thing. I don't go to boxing shows anymore. I, I love no. boxing. It's my passion. But yeah. my, the best ringside seat is on my sofa for the telly. Yeah. Uh, I hate going to boxing shows. I hate... I'll yeah. go... And I'm not being a snob or anything. And I put my no. But I will only go if I get a ringside ticket. Yeah. Like if someone comes to me out a ringside well, ticket. You but come with me, I'll get you at the front. I say, you come with front row stew, because I used to always end up by the cage or by the ring. It's like running joke in the end. People are probably going, have you got down there again? But it's because they're all in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, where I work, they've given us some pictures of the Anthony Joshua's fights. And, um, oh, yeah. all this and I was like, oh, wicked. So I've gone there and it was, it was me. Like, there was about four of us giving yeah. the tickets by or the CEO of the gym. Yeah. Went there. They were in the bloody gods. They, the the no. CEO had sat down ringside and give us the shit tickets. Oh, oh. Like, oh, this is my worst nightmare. Cause, yeah. And lo and behold, it happened. Like, yeah. people behind just chucking, like, I yeah. think someone chucked um, the plastic glass of beer and it, it hit me on the shoulder. It didn't hurt me on me. But no. I just lost it. Yeah. Like, I was coming out with every word in the yeah. like, like, get the fuck down here now. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to chin him. Like, there was no question. Me and you having it. Get down here now. <laughs> And then I realised that I'm actually sat next to my manager, <laughs> one of my managers, and Greg's like, Greg, this is my husband, Greg, just in case people who listen yeah. don't know him. He's like, Kathy, yeah. your manager's just there. Come on. Yeah. We, and I just said, we've got to leave, because I'm, I, I'm, I'm at that stage now that I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm not yeah. going to calm down in the near future. I need to go. I need to leave. So we just left. And I'm like, I'm not going to go and sit in the gods. I don't want to go and sit in no. the gods, because you've got... Everyone wants to kick off. Everyone chuck it. Yeah. If they just 
Ah, you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't go to boxing shows anymore for that reason. Yeah. I hate it. The egos yeah. are fueled with the alcohol and then people yeah. just think everyone thinks they can have a, have a fight. I know. People like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like you, Stuart. Not you anymore, no, not I anymore. Don't go to long box time ago, shows, all right? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a long time ago. <laughs> I'm the one who gets the ump now, yeah. like huffing and puffing because everyone's drunk around me. Yeah. I did. Uh, I went to the um, the Michael Bisping fight fight in uh, mm. Manchester, and it, uh, because of the American times, they they didn't it didn't start till about midnight. Yeah. And it went on till four in the morning. Now, I think um, you can imagine, like, Manchester, all these young lads have been out all day. I think the mm. was on as well. That's, yeah. that's all on it. So if I was steaming when they got in there, and I've got a couple of little, um, uh, like, you know, coke heads next to me, like, you know, and uh, we, I was sitting in their seat, but fair enough. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> when it was at that time, I was actually... There was a young couple in our seats, so I said, I'll sit there. I'll, when the fight finishes, we'll move seats. Um, and then these come in, and I was in their seat. Oh, and I said, I'll stay there a minute, mate. We're just going to, when the round stops, we'll we'll move. Yeah, but you're in my seat. I go, yeah, but these are in our seats. Just, you know, wait a minute. Yeah, but you're in my seat. Oh, oh that was it. God. Four hours like that. Four hours. Oh. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to chill him because I'm going to end up getting... And I really want to see this fight, you know, Dan mm. Anderson, you know, the rematch. I really wanted, and um, they got for they got in the end they got thrown out because he kept on and on, and uh, the security threw him out just about five minutes before the, the main event of the evening. Him and all his mates got thrown out. Everyone cheered and clapped, but it, it ruined it. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, mm. and I I paid a paid a lot of money, you know. Um, and I was sitting there, and I thought, I'm not going to do it, because I'm going to get chucked out with you, and I'm going to miss my fight, you know <laughs> And then, as you say, then it's put me off. And I think for the price I pay for some t- some tickets, I could probably buy, like, a, a nice 50-inch flat screen, you know what I mean? That's what Yeah, I do get that now. I just, I think we, what was it, the David Hay, Tony, I keep calling him Baloo, I can't help it, but Tony Baloo fight, and, uh, yeah. what for, the, no, it's the second one, I went to both, because, like, yeah. not David, because David, like, Adam Booth was my trainer throughout my boxing career. Oh, right, oh, yeah. Um, and David, um, David Hay was my, um, I call him my bucket bitch, because obviously my yeah. fight, fighting them was the bitch. I yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, we did, well, we decided to, um, when my first ever trainer, when I went over to pros, again, he's just a bit of a sexist sod, but he decided to take me on anyway. I've yeah. gone back to boxing, sorry, I was going to finish that story, but, um, yeah. so he, he was not really interested, you know what I mean? He was, and he, I got set up on a couple of fights, like, I, they brought this Russian woman over, she had 50 odd fights, they told me, ah, she only had, she only had a few fights, she weighed in like, about a stone heavier than me, and I'm giving them a, I was at like a fly weight, so I'm, what, 50 kilos? Um, that makes a massive difference at the lower oh end. He set me up with her. That was a that was a battle, and then yeah. and then he didn't. I got him put in a, a ten rounder. It was my first ten rounder. He'd set me up with this again Ukrainian girl, and they were like, "Yeah, we watched loads of videos. Yeah, you're gonna like wipe the floor with her." Da 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 da. If you come out and like you've got two stances in boxing, you've got orthodox, you've got southpaw, and southpaws are like left-handers, and yeah. orthodox are right-handers. 
So I got put up against this southpaw girl. They know they said they'd watch videos. I've not trained to fight a southpaw girl, even though um, you've got to fight them totally different than an yeah. orthodox person. So um, that was a ten round. So I thought my lip had split. He forgot to put my gum shield in. One these guys. Oh, yeah, and because um, nobody else would put me on. Um, yeah. So basically, that's when I, I sacked him, and I went with Adam Booth then. And um, um, so Adam Booth sort of took me under his wing, and my fighting style went improved so much with him. Yeah. Everything just went better, and then. But David Hay was my my, my bucket bitch. So um, I love David. So I'm, I'm I'm really close with him. So anytime he used to fight, I used to get ringside tickets. Yeah. Um, from him, which was wicked. Um, but this, this again, it was like, and this, there was a few seats in front of us, and this stupid girl just kept standing up, screaming. She didn't know what she was screaming. She was absolutely yeah. off, her, off her tit. She's screaming at the ring, like, Gokka! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's not sitting down. We're trying to watch the fight, and I'm yeah. like, look, sit down. And she's like, that. She's then she turned around and told me to F off. And I'm like, you fucking what? <laughs> so I said to her boyfriend, listen, you better tell her to sit down, otherwise I'm going to knock her the fuck down. Like, seriously? Like, <laughs> who's she talking? And, um, and I literally, I missed about, probably about three rounds of the fight totally. I don't know where they went to, because I was in that zone of what I was yeah. going to do to her. Yeah. Well, it was about three rounds I just went in this like this void as soon as I see her stand up I'm going to get out and this is what's going to happen yeah and um anyway I think a boyfriend sort of a boyfriend looked around and I was, must have had that look in my eyes I'd gone into bitch mode I'd yeah. put my eyes and everyone said like if, <laughs> well, if we stand in front of you do a little bit of sparring it's like this your eyes go like black almost <laughs> so, sharp <laughs> yeah, sharp like a terminator through my eyes <laughs> So, she, anyway, he said, like, he made a move. So, with actually, they left and had to settle down. And it, but it, I was yeah. there with adrenaline up. And I, that, I just, again, I don't want to be like that. Because it, no. it brings out that horrible side of me that, like, I think we all know we've all got two sides. I've got a yeah. really lovely side. I would do anything for anybody. I, I really would. And I'm really thoughtful. I'm really caring. I'm really not selfish. But I've got that horrible dark side of me that I don't like when it comes out. That comes out if I drink um, shots. I can like have a couple of glasses of wine. I'm you know that I'm I'm fine with that. It relaxes me. But go over that threshold and the dark side, and you'll understand this. Um, the, the dark side comes out. But I know I'm I'm, I'm quite lucky in the fact that I know when that trigger happens. Do you know what I mean? So I know that if I have a shot, then that's it. It's all over. Like. Yeah. I don't see sense. It's it's that horrible side of me um, comes out, uh, and it's not. I don't like that particular side. Yes, I've embraced it. It's part of me. I have got that side that every day I want to smash the shit out of someone, but I don't do it. Um, but it gives me too much sort of, you know, vodka or whatever, and it, it yeah. comes out. So that's why again I don't like going to the boxers because it brings that that side of me out. Yeah that I don't like and I don't want to be around that and I think when we, as we get older it's not about it's about understanding ourselves but it's also about um, knowing what to avoid to bring out that darkness so for you obviously it's alcohol for me it's also alcohol but not totally but, and also yeah. avoiding certain situations I don't go to nightclubs I don't go to concerts I don't go to the cinema yeah. and uh, whether people think I'm boring I don't give a shit but I just know that it's the one thing that keeps my head together 
It's firstly understanding yourself mm. and then doing the things you need to to cope best. Yeah. Which is, you know, but you have to break yourself down and analyse that before you can then do that. Because yeah. people go blindly on instinct all the time, don't they? They don't mm. know why they do it. And then they sort of have their head in the hands and say, oh, I did that happen again. But yeah. like someone like yourself, he's like, well, look, I'm recognising it. Mm. Um, and sorry, that ain't for me. And it's yeah. very, I think it takes a bravery, and I've had to do it a lot over the years. Um, and people either take it or they don't, but I don't, I don't care now. I used to care, but I don't care now. I have to do mm. what's best for me and the people close around me. And if, if it means that I may upset someone, I don't want to upset anyone, but I'm not doing anything that jeopardises my state of mind, you yeah. know, intentionally. Your state of mind is the most important thing. And hmm. uh, I think also people are scared to get so raw with themselves. And I think you've got to really break yourself, your layers down to find out, right, this is why I feel like that. I'm very open and kind about everything I've been through because I know if I speak openly about it, it desensitizes it, I understand it. It doesn't mean it's going to go away, hmm. but I know how to manage it. I know how to manage my anger now. Um, you know, doesn't always 100% work. <laughs> yeah. I, still, I still can hurl stuff across the room in anger, mm. um, even at myself. So, um, but it, but I also accept that that's part of me. I've got I've got that I've got that inner rage, and I've got it under control. It's not suppressed. So now and again, it's going to pop out. I just have to avoid situations that make it pop out. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's not ideal, but it's what you have to do. What works? Yeah. In an ideal world, you'd be free to do absolutely anything, and all these things is wonderful, yeah. But um, it's just making, yeah, just make it doing what works for you. Uh, and there's things that do and things that don't. And it's just, once it becomes a simple choice like that, I find it quite an easier, freer way to live. Well, yeah, you're freer because you understand yeah. yourself more. You know that this yeah. certain thing triggers me. I'm free because yeah. also I'm in control of I can make a decision and I can say no to things. So, and it's a, a control. You said control a lot, and and, and the fighting, and the, the, it's a big control. And I find that people have been through what you've been through. Um, it, it's having someone who's had their control completely taken away. Yeah, they, a lot of their motivation is to regain control whenever possible over over every situation. And, and you know, it's interesting that that um, you know it affects us like that. It is, I think, as well, like there's certain situations that we can't control. Um, mm. I mean, obviously, a, a lot of things I can't control. I'll go back to my boxing, but one of the things that we went through, and um, I'm, I'm quite open about it, which was totally out of my control, we did um, 10 IVF treatments, and right. um, I, can't, I, I can't get pregnant, basically. So we went yeah. through all these um, fertility treatments. We had to pay for it because I was too old at the time for NHS so um, right. we had to sell a car and a flat and just yeah. everything to pay for we went to all these disappointments and heartbreak and one of the things that I found more difficult rather than just obviously yes we can't have kids and we've been through this we've done, we tried donor eggs we did three lots of donor eggs went to Spain and had some random woman's eggs we didn't know and I tried to carry it and it just didn't work but actually, the la the lack of control you have over that is ridiculous. So mm. I found that I was trying to find control in other avenues of my life. So I felt at least a little bit in control of something. So although I couldn't have control about that, I had control over other things and how I was going to react to it. Like, I've got control how I'm going to be 
what can I do? And like even things like, I don't know, like for this, in, for example, I, <laughs> I, I sort of I block everyone who's just had babies on Facebook. I don't unfriend them, but I don't see their posts. Because yeah. otherwise you've got this news feed of, you know, and yeah. it's, I think with anyone as well with mental health, if you like, you can't block people all the time because then you have no mates. But no. You, what you can do, especially on social media, because social media is a huge thing, is... Um, is I just I just mute people. I just yeah, mute people. yeah, unfollow, isn't it? You can just yeah, unfollow your you stay friends. People, so I don't I've unfollowed lots of people because mm. I just don't I don't want to see what they want to show me. Yeah, and it's so I don't I don't not like them. I don't mm. I just I just don't want to see their stuff. It's yeah. nothing wrong with that at all. I think. No, I think it's and it's, it's again it's getting gaining control and it's obviously mm. I don't go to certain places. I don't go. This I go on social media. Mm. Right, okay, these things are happening in life. I haven't got any control about it. But what I can do is mute people's stories so it's not in my face so much, mm. you know, and and just do other things um, that that help sort of with me feeling that I've got some sort of gain of something in my life that I don't feel totally sort of like lost and like panic that I've got no control you know mm. so like, I didn't finish my boxing either did I no I want you to finish the whole boxing <laughs> before we go on <laughs> we I'm, were talking about yeah because I'm <laughs> yeah yeah no because no, I want to sort of talk about other stuff but I want you to okay. tell me the full story of your boxing yeah so basically I went so I went back went Trained with Adam Booth, um, which was revolutionary, um, which was great. I sort of, I started working. I started training to be a personal trainer at the same time as I was boxing because I knew that I wasn't earning any money from boxing because women just weren't paid anything. I'd maybe make a couple hundred quid um, from a from a fight, and like even I was fighting ten round fights. Um, I went to Germany and fought, and I was like top of the bill in Germany, and I think that was my biggest payday. I earned, I earned. Four grand on that, and I'm very up with four grand. That was for a 10 round WB, no, the WIBF world title. And really? I was okay. on the top of the card. Julius Francis was underneath on my undercard, and he was yeah. paid, I think, about half a mil. I was paid was four he? grand. Yeah. <laughs> and I still had to pay sort of Adam Bruce out of that, and then I had some time off work, and so I ended up walking out with about two grand, and that was, yeah. you know, that was a heavy fight as well. That was for the world title, and um, yeah. I had nine bleeds on my brain after that fight. Um, really? When I have brain scans, yeah, I was, we'd got back to the changing room, and um, I was like, oh, God, Adam, I feel a bit weird. Like, <laughs> I was yeah. like walking on marshmallows, and I was like, weird, like. <laughs> and um, he said, well, go in the shower, and I was like, fuck, and I, I, I was sick, and I was like, shit. Um, and they took me. They took me straight to hospital. And um, going back just briefly, and I'm not going to go into it massively, but I was with an, another ex of mine at that time, um, and he was. Uh, he was. I was quite annoyed at myself because I'd got myself into another fucking situation um, with another arsehole, and um, unfortunately. He, he was just mentally abusive for a long time. He was quite controlling. He, yeah. I remember him coming to. He was in Germany, he came to Germany and he was um he was angry with me because I'd gone um in the ambulance with um Adam and David Hay, um because he said it was embarrassing, um and oh. also sort of whatever let these guys come to the hospital with me. Um, blah 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 blah, they just wanna like they just wanna have sex with you and I'm like it's my trainer. So that went on for and I, I that went on for a little while as well. So I, 
during during my fighting career, and, and it's a, I'm still embarrassed to say it, but everyone was like, "Oh my God, you're you're so strong, Kathy. You're such a strong woman." Everyone was looking up to me, and I'm like, "Dude, at home, I've got myself into another relationship though, which is not healthy, and I know I've got to get out of it." And I was, you know, I went and lived with Adam in the end to try and get this guy to um, move out of the house that I owned. I had to sell it from under his feet to get him out, but. That's another story, but I, yeah. so just saying that I've gotten into this um, situation. So then we got to Germany and they scanned my head and I had like nine different bleeds on the brain and um, I recovered from it, obviously. But with boxing as well, it's, um, it's, it's you know, you had this battle with all these people being, like guys being really sexist and they wouldn't sponsor you. I had no sponsorship during my boxing career. Yeah. I, earned, I earned sort of not much at all so I had to work full time I had to sell tickets um, on shows but in, in the UK I didn't have to sell it when I was in Germany but I sold, had to sell tickets um, on shows in, in the UK to be able to cover my purse which was like maybe a couple hundred quid um, ship it and the point because there was no opponents in the UK for me to fight because um, there was only a couple of us um, so I had to ship them over from Europe I had to pay for their sort of her and her trainers airfare, accommodation, food, purse, and then put some money back in the promoter's pocket. So I'd make maybe a couple hundred quid a fight, but I yeah. have to go and like beg and sell my soul to everybody to buy tickets to come and watch me fight. It's kind of part of the process. So it was quite a stressful sort of time, but I, but I felt I loved boxing yeah. so much and I really, 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 really wanted to fight. Um, yeah. So all of this, um, the barriers and the obstacles that, that these people were putting in front of me and the fact that I had to sell all these tickets and, you know, I, I didn't really have um, the money to pay for physio. So when I was getting injured, like I tore my calf muscle, I broke my hand in one of my fights, um, punching someone in the face. <laughs> it's actually my first fight with Adam Booth. Um, he changed the way I hook. I call it a hook, not a hook. Yeah, hook. Um, yeah. So my hook um, made, made, Adam made my hook much stronger by just changing my hand positioning. Um, I underestimated that power. And I remember the first fight I had with Adam, I just smacked this girl right in the face. It was a wicked shot, right round the, the head. Um, she fucking gone down. I was like, oh, can that hurt? <laughs> Yeah. Got back got after the round. I said, oh, "I don't know. I think I've broken my hand." And he's like, "Right, let's call the ref over." And I was like, "No, no, no, don't! You got to stop the fight." I was like, oh, "I think it'll be fine." There's no way I was giving up the fight. Yeah. I just loved this girl with a shot. I was like, "There's no way." I've there's a six rounder, and um, I carried on fighting um, on a broken hand. Um, won the fight. So, um, but again, it was that I didn't have the money to really get like good physio for for that after the break, and um, so you end up sort of selling yourself the devil all the time with with yeah. boxing. Well, I did when I was coming up through my career, and you know, especially like everyone just slagging you off of. Well, you know, you, the woman walks in, you know, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm actually a professional boxer, and people just laugh at you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what you pull each other's hair. So, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I put that right through the career. And, but Adam had really good belief in me. And I ended up, um, during my career, I won the first English title ever to be in, in the country. That was actually my last fight. And then I won the European title. And I got ranked number three in the world at flyweight. So actually... During my career, I did all right. Yeah. Um, given all these obstacles were in my way the whole time. 
Yeah. Um, I, I was so determined to prove everybody wrong all the time, and I locked into, and this is where you've got to be quite open about how you're feeling about life and what you've been through, because obviously I'd locked into the fact that, that I was in an abusive relationship when I was younger, um, yeah. and I'm never going to be bullied like that again. I was in an abusive relationship again when I got older. Like being adopted gives me this this feeling of not being worthy ever, yeah. um, not belonging. Yeah. yeah, and I did. I just didn't feel like I ever belonged. Got boxed up, I belonged. And even though there was these barriers, I was I was out there to prove everybody wrong. I want to prove all of you wrong. Mm. Um, that I do deserve this and I'm never going to be bullied again. I'm never going to allow myself to get abused again and I'm going to keep myself strong. So that kept me going right through my boxing career, to be honest. And yeah. um, so that I ended up sort of doing all right through it. Well, um, and women like you, that you had to go through that to pave the way for today's women boxers. Yeah, they forget about us. Yeah, I know. And it's uh, But the thing is, it's like any sort of, you know, pioneers... The pioneers pave the way, don't they? Yeah. Uh, and often the pioneers are, uh, you know, unrewarded and unrecognised. But without you got going through that, you know, you early stage female fighters, like, you had to put up with all that shit so that yeah. it could be equal, you know, today, uh, mm. you know. Um, yeah, they should take a, a nod to it now and then. I think. Yeah, they just forget. We're just like we're little yeah. plebs because we didn't earn yeah. it. I'm still working full time now. <laughs> yeah, I'm still it. working my yeah. arse off. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose like like modern day, like the, the footballers of my age, my era. You know, they must and they 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 probably earn a good living. A lot of them. Well, when they look what the young guys earn today, even in the even in the sort of the reserves, are earning more in a week than they ever earned in a year, you know. Yeah, like, and yeah. they're, they're, they're household names. They're probably even people who were you know, part of the World Cup winning squad. Yeah. Some of them were on peanuts, I would have thought, you know. Yeah, if that's the thing. And people forget about those those people. Yeah. I mean, people got to go back and remember those people. Who, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Katie Taylor and people like that who are fighting Nicky Adams. They're like, none of them work because yeah. they don't have no. to because they've got a shitload of sponsorship. The yeah. purses are huge. And it's yeah. fine. I think it's great because that's what we it did. That's great. what we paved the way for. Yeah. But, and that, that's <laughs> what, you know, <laughs> don't help you. But <laughs> crawling in from work after the program with their gone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not having the care, you know, not having the aftercare, the health care. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is a thing because an athlete is, is, a, is a finely tuned machine now. You yeah. Know, like, you, and you've got to have that care. Yeah. And one yeah. of the things that they don't give, especially since in my time, um, was you don't get that care mentally when you have to retire. Yeah. When I had to retire from boxing, I wasn't ready to retire. Um, but my physio, who was, I found this great physio, and he actually worked in the gym in the end. So um, he, and I really, he's amazing. He deals with all the top footballers and the Olympians. He's like, it's a god in the physio world. And I was really, really lucky to be able to, for he, him to sort of treat me now and again. And he'd said to me, I'd gone um, and he'd sort of treated me and he said, look, I've got to be honest uh, that if you don't stop boxing now, you, you're going to get irreversible damage because you've got really bad neural damage in your neck. I'm, I was blacking out a little bit and, you know, I was I was slurring a bit and I, was, I wasn't feeling great. And obviously my wrists were really hurting me. I was getting sort of arthritis in my knees and my, my everything. I was just falling apart. 
you know, I had a torn calf and um, for no reason whatsoever because my body was just breaking down from the fact that I was training like a second trooper. Um, obviously, I was trying to make weight. So back in the days, we didn't have the knowledge we've got now about strength and conditioning and nutrition. So we'd be like making weight wearing um, bin bags and stuff. I remember I tore my calf muscle five days before a world uh, a title fight and um, I had to sort of inject it up with painkillers to get through the oh, fight and up because I knew I wouldn't yeah. get the opportunity again. No. So we, ta- we taped it all up and my physio said, right, you've got to stop fighting. I can't, I can't. He's coming into the change room just before I'm fighting to inject my wrist with painkillers yeah. to inject my calf with yeah. painkillers just so I can, I can fight um, and we had to disguise the fact that, you know, that that was injured. And then sort of like to make way, I'd weigh in and watch, like I've got another couple of kilos to lose. I'd be sat on the bed um, in bin bags, shadow boxing because I couldn't stand up because my calf was not yeah. So you go through all this stupidness to make weight, And um, I think it just took a massive toll on, on my body. Yeah. Um, and he said, if I didn't retire, I, it was going to be irreversible. So I'd, I'd gone back for my last fight and done the English title, the British Boxing Body Control English title. It's the first ever one. So I was the first woman to, to, to win an English title because there's more women then. And um, again, I fought someone heavier than me, but it didn't matter. I won it anyway. Yeah. And that was over yeah. 10 rounds. And he said, I'm, I'm not going to treat you anymore if you have another fight. So I had to retire. Yeah. Then I knew it was time. I was breaking down. I had to have a word with myself. <clears throat> but that's when um, I got really depressed. I was yeah. really hit bad. I hit a dark hole, which was it's grief, isn't it? It's loss. Yeah. This yeah. Is what, people in, the, in in anything once they have to give up their passion, they go for a loss, and it, mm. it, it's and if, if they're not aware of that and they don't deal with it properly, it can it can have a devastating effect. Yeah, I mean, it, oh, it did, because I didn't know how to deal with it. I was just, mm. you know, I had no one to talk to. Like, Adam was like, yeah, move on. Don't, I'm busy with David. Yeah. And yeah. he'd moved on anywhere, like, a couple of fights beforehand. He said, look, I'm a bit busy with David. Can he just train with this guy, Gary Logan? Yeah. I trained with him for, but he would just turn up late for training. I'd basically just yeah. train myself. I'd, you know, none of them would come sparring with me. I remember going over to a spa, I don't know if you heard of Ian Napa. I used to go and spot Ian Napa paying 50 quid to um, yeah. spar with me and just to hit me because otherwise guys were like, oh, I'm not going to I'm not gonna hit a bird. And I'm like, well, yeah. no, don't fucking hit me. I'm not going to give you 50 quid. I'll just like, try and knock me out. Because <laughs> that's what I would learn, right? So I used to go down to Spokesfair and I used to go down to his gyms on my own um, and spar with his guys at the Lennox Lewis Academy. Um, Tottenham I used to go up to sort of a guy called Chris Hall's gym but I used to go on my own and get sparring in with all these guys and so I never really had anyone backing me up so I probably just took quite a lot of unnecessary punishment during that yeah, time yeah too much yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so um, I thought you know I was but what happened when I finished boxing was I started to get angry again about everything I hated everybody um, yeah. I hated myself. I was an absolute arsehole again. I turned really, I'd lose, if, you know, I'd be teaching a boxing class and someone would just ask me a question about <laughs> boxing um, and I'd kick off. What the fuck do you know about boxing? How many yeah. fucking fights have you had? And that really just, just go into this horrible, like, person mode. And um, I remember um, I punched a horse through the computer at work and um, <laughs> my- because I do things like that quite because <laughs> uh, I just I think it was always something stupid I couldn't I think it was when my mum and my mum and dad started to get really ill and I was trying to get a, a train up to my mum's and I 
there's something had happened and I guess fucking anywhere that my face went through the, the computer screen. But um but I got obviously pulled by management um about um my anger and um I had to do something basically. So that's what I started studying sports psychology and then I started studying cognitive behaviour therapy. So I did four years of studying yeah. So I could sort of understand my head a bit more. And um, so I sort of really threw myself into that. So that gives me something, it gives me something to focus on. So uh, that kind of kept me going for a few years. And then I managed to sort of, I mean, I still now miss it. And I still now get a little bit envious of people when yeah. they're fighting and stuff. <laughs> it's natural. And, you know, nothing, as I said earlier, and when we were chatting there's never anything nothing is ever going to match boxing how I felt with boxing how I felt and if I ever um, and it's so so I became a cognitive behavioural therapist and um, I started mixing sort of cognitive behaviour therapy with boxing and and using them both together because for me they both went hand in hand so I did that that's kind of what I do now so that's what I went yeah. to from, from that to boxing and to be honest sort of Relating back to when I'm having hard times now, it just relate back to the boxing and what I learned from the boxing and what I've learned from cognitive behaviour therapy. And, I've, you know, you feel like you're in, for me, I feel like I'm in constant therapy mode with myself like, every day. Yeah. <laughs> I have to have a yeah. word myself all of the time and you, you'll get this. I'll have a little word, Kathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I have words for myself literally every day to either stop yeah. wanting to knock somebody out or I'm, I've sort of getting angry again or I'm being a bit out of order myself so uh, yeah I have words for myself but ther- studying cognitive behaviour therapy really really helped that yeah of course because you know your mind systems more and I know what I would say to other people yeah you know so I, I do the same with myself so it's um, that's been really powerful for me to be honest and wait, so the, the, the next adventure <laughs> <laughs> the Cappy Brown journey. Yeah. At some point, someone had the idea of going to Iraq. Yeah. Where um, the hell did that have come from? I, well, I've sort of done, obviously, because I've been doing cognitive behaviour therapy and boxing, and I've sort of got a lot of PR on it, and I've done some stuff with um, uh, a couple of... Um, a friend of mine, Lorraine Candy, she used to do, run Elle magazine, she's now Sunday Times, but we did a little article together, where it was like, ended up being a four-page article about like combining the two, and then yeah. I got loads of PR around sort of my sort of unique selling point, if you want to call it that. Um, so this um, PR company had contacted me and said, look, we've been approached by um, this woman who's got a really, really small charity in Iraq called The Lotus Flower, and um, <clears throat> she she does basically, all these women, they're in a camp, they've been living in this camp for five years, obviously. When I just went through Iraq in 2014, they just raped and pillaged all these Yazidi women and they killed their husbands and their uncles and their dads. And and they really, like, brutally brutalized these these women and they were the stories were horrible. So I said, yeah, of course, I'll be interested. So I met with this woman to, to ban and she's amazing she um she's a um she escaped genocide with her father was a political activist so she escaped genocide when she was little came over to um the uk's refugee worked in banking 
And then when 2014 happened, that she went over with the BBC to, to into the mountains of in in northern Iraq and to help give like water and food to all these women and children. And um, she was so heartbroken by what she saw because it's her culture that she gave up her job in banking and set up this charity. So she's telling me all these stories and she's telling me this story. This um, young girl, she's 12 now, but. Like ISIS when she was like seven, six, seven, something like that, eight, seven, eight, they um they sold it over and over and over again to these fucking arseholes and, and they gang raped it over and over fucking again that brought poor pelvis in my back and that was it. I was like, Right, what do you what do you want me to do? And she said, Well let's can we run an event here? I said, No, I'm fucking coming to Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, Really? You wanna come over? And I was like Hell yeah! You, I want to go over there. I want to work with these women. I want to, yeah. I want to help them because from what they've been through, I understand what. I mean, I haven't even been to anywhere near what they've been through. When I was raped when I was younger, it was yeah. by one arsehole. It was fucking heavy-handed and it was yeah. it was hideous. And I know what that makes you feel like. Just that, it, yeah. I know how that really rocks your confidence. I know what it's like to be an orphan, like to to be adopted, and these these. Women and children have, have got nobody. They've got no family. I know how lonely it can feel, but I also know the powerful effect that boxing had on my confidence and also my yeah. self-esteem and empowerment. So I said, I want to come over. And um, for my poor husband, Greg, um, <laughs> got a text message. Yes, darling. <laughs> we right. Yes, okay. And he's like, um, what, what are you want about? Um, I was like, don't worry, I'll explain it all, but we're going, we're going to go and do this. And he's having a massive panic attack, bless him. Yeah. Um, so obviously he's Your safety, yeah. He's yeah. a six foot four giant. He's a big um, fucker, right? I, I, I know him well. He's like a bear. <laughs> so, and he's fucking sitting himself on my, right, that's it, come on, stop being a fanny, let's go. <laughs> 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 it was just quite funny, and um, we we well, we basically flew to Iraq, and um, we didn't have security because I felt it would attract too much attention. Because there's still quite a lot of stuff going on in Mosul and stuff like that. Yeah. We flew into Erbil, um, which is north of Iraq, and we had to do a three and a half hour journey to um, another town called Dohuk. So we had it was so long because. The straight line would be through Mosul, um, which would just take a little bit of time. But due to the fact that obviously I'm blonde and blue-eyed, um, I would just get kidnapped. So um, and whatever. So we had to drive into the mountains and around the long route round to Dohuk. So we were all right. And got this yeah. little, little driver who was one of the family drivers of Japan. <laughs> Um, Like he must be only fifties. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Bit of a chubby, chubby chap, but he's all right. I've got a gun in the, <laughs> I've got a gun in the, that's <laughs> called in the car. So you're all yeah. right. <laughs> so we were like, okay, so we, we went and we, you know, there were little stops. We get stopped, and I got stopped and searched, um, and we got to Dohuk, and then we weren't allowed to sleep in the camp because um, of safety. So we were in this little, like, really strange hotel in Dohuk, and so every morning we'd get up. And we'd drive an hour to this camp, which was in the mountains again, which is in the middle of nowhere. And there's 
15,000 people living in this one camp. Um, it's tents, basically, and people, yeah. they sleep on the floor, and they've been sleeping on the floor like that for five years, and they're really great, actually. They've become self-sufficient. They've got their own little fruit stores, and they've got chickens there that they just yeah. kill and eat, and they've become so amazing. They're so self-sufficient. So we, we went there, and we had to meet about manager of the camp. We had to meet this manager of the camp, and they had to sort of give us the okay to go in. And we went in there every morning. We spent all day there. So we just in the morning we would um, work with 15 young girls and yeah. teach them boxing every every morning. And then every afternoon there was we chose three. Well, they, the charity chose three women from that group who they felt would be good to be teachers. So we, right. me and Greg spent um, hours in the afternoon just teaching them how to teach boxing. Yeah. So we, we run a company in the UK called Boxology. Yeah. And we train coaches how to teach boxing. So we run sort of courses. I've written a couple of books on the science of boxing. We've got apps yeah. and stuff. So what we did is we took Boxology, the course, over to Iraq. We kind of had to sort of adapt it a little bit. Yeah. But none of them could speak English. Um, and a few of them couldn't read. So we had to have, obviously, a translator with us the whole time. We had to write everything down um, in Arabic on a, on a whiteboard, like how to do certain things. We had to have audio notes from a friend of ours who can speak Arabic and translated everything for us. Um, and then we had to video everything on their phone. So they had sort of, they could learn. So we had to go through all the sort of learning styles. Some people are auditory, some people are visual, etc. Some people read or write. So we had to cover all of those and we spent the whole week doing that, like every morning, every afternoon. And um, the women now teach there, they teach every day and the, the charity pays them to to coach boxing. So we've not only given them this self-esteem and this empowerment, we've also given these three women an opportunity to earn money so they can feed their family. Uh, money in. So it was like a double-edged sword event that, you know, we're teaching you boxing, but we're also leaving you self-sufficient. So yeah. you can, you can, we, we don't, we don't need us to keep coming back. Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we are going to go back um, next year now, but, but you can be self-sufficient until then. You can, you can teach boxing and, but yeah. these women are amazing. Like they're cooking like every day. We, We'd, um, they'd be like, right, come to, we've got someone's ha- little tent for like lunch, and they cook us lunch, and we pay them for it, the food, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get this chicken and rice, and uh, the food was just so fresh, it was amazing. And every day they'd cook, want to cook for us, and they'd want to go around to their, like, tent for tea, and we developed such a strong bond with these women. Um, and obviously this young girl who I mentioned earlier, who um who's had her pelvis and back broken. It broke Greg. Um, I think, well, you know, we'd gone in on the first day and we were teaching them boxing and she couldn't, she couldn't do one of the, like, rotate her hips on the, on the movement. And it, Greg was trying to explain to her through the translator and the translator said to him, and she can't because she, and he actually had to leave um, and he had a breakdown outside because he never really sort of encountered anyone who'd been through that. Well, obviously, he lives with me, yeah. but um, he'd never really been to any to that extent, and it really broke him. And it's it's, yeah. it's heartbreaking to see. Um, 
But I just knew that I had to keep strong for these women because actually these women are stronger than me, if you think about it. Yeah. They've been through this, like, all these ISIS arseholes, like, I mean, yeah. the things that they've been through, and you almost feel like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sort of break down. I'm not going to do this because I know that, like, you lot are stronger than me, and I have to show strength here. Yeah, yeah. I'm admiring your strength. You're, yeah. I'm looking That's up it. to you. You're their guidance, aren't you? You're your yeah. example of, of what that can do for you, so you can't be breaking down. No, and so yeah. we had to hope, but bless Greg, and, and you know, he's yeah, like, like a big, massive bear, and, yeah. but he's soft as anything. And, and yeah. um, but we, but the, what we got from going to Iraq and it was just a ridiculous amount of soul food. It was um, what I got from that. Saying that, do you know what? I'm going to take a statement back to saying that. Um, and I said nothing would ever reach boxing. That did. That what I got from yeah. going to Iraq did actually hit yeah. that button. It really I can did. Imagine that. Yeah, because it's um, it, it, we came back and it was just coming back in here and people bloody bitching moan about yeah, oh, hard, my life so I hard know. like fuck off, which actually yeah. made me even more antisocial. To be yeah. honest. <laughs> <laughs> I do get it sometimes when I'm when I go to my projects, you know and. I make people have lost everything, kind of, and then someone. Uh, I, I, I then have to stop myself being too intolerant of people's everyday problems because mm. you just think, oh fucking, hell, you don't know, you got it made, you know. But mm. they're their problems, you know. But uh, I've got a funny thing that I did chuckle a couple of times because um, when I was speaking to Greg after you'd got back and he was telling me about it, I, yeah. and I'd seen, I'd seen the, I'd, I'd seen the press and that for it, and I was mm. blown away by what you did and everything and I was chatting to Greg and I said about I said look next time we go I'll come with you I don't care what I've got on I'll definitely come with you and he said yeah brilliant like, you know and then he explained how you got there <laughs> and he explained he said yeah because I imagine you just get you know like uh, uh, you know a, a flight in you know on a, a British Airways you know no, yeah. you there and then you go down we had to land there go to there travel there and we had to go for the mountain so we didn't get kidnapped. And then we had uh, the bloke had a gun and all that. And we just fucked <laughs> out on an hairdresser. So you fuck <laughs> off. I'll stick, stick to what I do. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a big So I'll be with you in spirit. <laughs> oh, hold on a minute. I've already pitched you to the charity. I said, yeah, what are you on about? You've come you know in. what? I'd still come. I know you would. Yeah, I, no, I, I would because I, I, you know, I could do it. And, you know, I could even come with you, teach them to cut hair or whatever while we're there. And it's amazing, like what? Yeah. It's just no, the, the, and the, it's such a big people are so beautiful. The Kurdish yeah. people are so beautiful, and um, we are and the good. things that it's horrendous what they did. They got oh. gassed and everything. So it's it's you know you, 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 you can't explain. No, it's no, you'll never get that feeling. And then coming back and trying to explain it to someone who's fucking thinking their life's bad because they they <laughs> messed up their coffee at Starbucks or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh. so my tolerance levels and thought like it's yeah. a great thing to do, but my tolerance levels have become even lower, um, yeah. which is probably not a good thing. But actually, <laughs> no, not, not really. Self isolation is great for me. I don't know. Yeah. How to speak to it's, well, no, no, it's great for everyone else. Let's say, 
they're safe because the they're bitch, safe. The bitch is locked up for a <laughs> the few months. The bitch is locked up. That's it. She's not allowed out. Stay in there. Long. I feel sorry for Greg locked in with her. <laughs> yeah, he's not listening. Like, he sits in the bedroom all day. I sit in the living room. Yeah. Because he, he just says we have separate offices during the day. Because yeah. he just says I do his head in. Because um, obviously I'm working on um, making box because we run boxology courses. But I'm yeah. actually I'm head down creating boxologies on an online platform and or, wow. or as e-books. But actually I'm redesigning our books, which are like 60,000 words of book, um, yeah. onto e-books with images with links to videos. And it's taking forever. And he said, you just shout with the laptop quite a lot and you talk to yourself quite a lot and it unnerves me. So he sits in the bedroom, basically. <laughs> so he's saying... He's bear, like shivering a nervous wreck in the other room. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, so self-isolation is funny and I'm like, right, come on, let's go for a walk. Yeah. Greg's really good, though, because obviously, um, for me, he's... He, <laughs> He understands me quite a lot, and yeah. Um, yeah. you're strong together, aren't you? I've, I, yeah. I've, I've seen you together, and you, you know you're, you're you're strong, and you're stronger because you've been through a lot together. And yeah, know, we, and we come out the other end. Strength, yeah, yeah. And it's it you breaks a lot of people. Like even just going through the IVF is really really yeah. difficult, and mm. um, it didn't break us at all. It actually made us stronger. Yeah. Um, but nobody again, nobody understands that unless they've been through that. And I, we were no. we were going to IVF for my mum. My mum and dad were um, not well. My mum had really bad dementia, um, and dad was just in a really bad way. So I it, I was up and down to Newcastle for the last six years, every two three every two weeks probably. Yeah. Worked out. So um, I'd sort of get up on the train, get all their food, have the care workers going in and making sure they were all right, and then obviously dad took a turn for the worse and had a stroke so he had to go in the hospital and then mm. unfortunately mum was so badly gone I had to put her in a home now that was so that's probably my most heartbreaking thing I've ever been yeah. through doing something like that but we were in the middle of IVF up and down I remember it was my mum's 80th and I promised her a birthday party and um, she um, in the, and I had to go and sort of take the cake up to Newcastle and whatnot. And we got, I had to go to the IVF clinic in the morning on the Saturday, <clears throat> jump on the train. And unfortunately, um, we'd had wine delivered, but they delivered it to me in London rather than Durham. Oh, so we had a, had a suitcase of wine and then we had a cake and then we had to go to the IVF clinic with that, then jump in the cab, get on the train, have this party, then get back because I had to go to hospital on the Sunday morning to have the IVF done. But I promised my mum this, this party. So, uh, yeah, we were going to, it was just, IVF was even harder because obviously my mum and dad were, were really, really poorly and um, um, my dad died a year and a half ago and then my mum died last year. Yeah, so, um, but actually going watching her, that's another like thing I had to lock into my boxing sort of strength for because watching someone die very, very, very slowly and not knowing who you are and losing their ability to walk and to speak and she took a long time to go, bless her. And then um I got with luckily I was with her um for the last few days I sat with her on vigil but um yeah that was a horrible thing to go through. But again it, everything comes back down to the strength I got from boxing. Everything I do in life now, if it's hard, you have to relate back to how how you know the strength I, I gathered from boxing and, and looking into that. It's finding a moment in your life where you're 
right, this is where I felt my most strongest. I need to look into that and, and use that to get me through this period of life, you know, it's what I'm going through right now. Well, I think, um, you know, definitely, I've got another podcast with um, an amazing woman called Jodie Keegan's, and, you know, her story's amazing as well, and it looks, it seems to be that they've come at the same time, so we're going to somehow link it, and yeah. hopefully one of my, I go to, a, I do hair at a woman's refuge as well, I'm trying to, they're so busy at the moment, because it's a residential one, but Clara runs that, I'm trying to pin her down, so I'll try and put these together in a, in a sort of little series, Mm. Um, about, you know, sort of survival of domestic violence and how you've done it your way, Jodie's done it her way, and then, yeah. you know, like, Clara, unfortunately, looks after the people who are just, just, you know, newly out out of there. Mm. Um, because it's gone up so much at this time, yeah, it's such it's really a sad. problem mm. that the women who are going through it are trapped in it at the moment. Yeah. So stories like yours of hope... Um, are crucial to them because it's just throwing seeds out to the wall and you know hopefully it grows into some strength for them that they come they can you know get through it it's hard because that's what that's you know I mean Greg once asked me why when I'm doing my public speaking why I'm so open and candid I'm like because if I can help like yeah. one person in that room, that's huge. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're saying to people, this is what I've been through. This is mm. like, it, it's going to give you hope. I wasn't yeah. always a strong person, I, you know, but I've, I've developed that and I've, you know, you, you've got to make small steps forward. And I always say to people, you've got to keep moving forward as hard as it is, even as baby steps. Mm. You've got two choices in life. You can either sit there and go, or pull me, I'm feeling sorry for myself, I'm a victim. But actually, yeah. you're not. You can make yourself... It is very, very, very difficult, and it's the hardest route yeah. to take. But saying, no, I'm not going to let this person or this thing have control over me. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not going to let them have that power over me anymore. And it is quite scary. And there's yeah. a lot of, like, especially with domestic violence, that Refuge are really good. They're an amazing charity. I've yeah. done some stuff with them before, and... Um, you know, it's offering hope and offering an ear for people for people to talk to and offering sort of like refuges for, for women and children to be able to escape to. Yeah. Um, and not try to not live it. It's hard not to not live in fear because you're constantly overlooking your shoulder. That's why yeah. I, broke it. I had to just leave home when I was, yeah. you know, before I was ready, really, just because I, I was looking over my shoulder constantly. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a horrible place to sort of be. You know, even when I got old and I got into that other stupid relationship, it's, um, yeah. you know, a guy was turning up at work all the time, and I'm just like, oh, you, you, I'll constantly look over my shoulder again. And I'm like, I don't really want to be doing this. So I, I no. dealt with that situation a bit more harsher. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and obviously I, I, I did deal with it, but um, and then I stopped looking over my shoulder because I was like, no, it's just not happening anymore. But, yeah, it's, um, it's quite scary, especially when... They're stuck in a, a place with one person who they're scared of. Yeah, I think um, I think that's it. And, it, and the, the thing is, you'll never ever have to go through that again because you no. ended up finding the right man. Yeah. And this is what happens: you can find, or you find yourself. You know, people tend to get through, and they'll either just be find themselves, or they will find. You know, and they'll never ever go through that again. Because they they know that they're worth more than that, and I think that's, that's what your story says. 
But also as well, I think one of the most important things that are like of messages I'd love to get out to people, and I say this a lot. Like before I met Greg, I was single for five years. Like yeah. after after my that second horrible relationship I was in, yeah. I I did not want to be in a relationship. I wanted to spend time with me. Um, and get to know me, and I wasn't panicking about being single, I wasn't panicking about being on my own, I'm like, actually, I want to be on my own, I want to just, and from that, that five years, of, I really grounded myself again, because you, you lose yourself in those relationships, yeah. you, you become someone that you're not, and I found myself again um, in those five years, and I was like, I felt, I felt really good, and I was like, actually, no, this is me, and if people don't like me, they can fuck off. And even when I met Greg, it's like... Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I met Greg, I said, this is how it is. This is how I yeah. am. And yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? And so when I met Greg, I was really, I felt really good about myself. I'm like, this yeah. is me. And if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. And he was no. brilliant because he just embraced me as I was. He yeah. hasn't asked, once asked me to change. He still tells me to stop shouting sometimes, but that's just how yeah. it goes. I'm yeah. a Geordie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but he, he's, no, he never tried to change me. And that's because I went into the relationship and I didn't change for him. I, I, I was me, and he didn't want me to change because he, he liked me as I was. And if someone's trying to change you early on in the relationship, then you're not meant to be together. No. And you, you've different. got us watching the morning signs, and you know. And, yeah. and, and so spending time on your own is not a bad thing. It's a no. really, really good thing to do because you'll get stronger. It's quite hard at first, but you get stronger. And then sort of like if you meet someone, you meet someone. If you don't, then... Yeah. you don't it's just, you've got to be happy within yourself and you've got to be yeah. strong within yourself well I think that's that, what, what you know I can't think of a better way to end it on because yeah. you know that strength that you've got because we could probably talk for another hour you know Stuart. we, we probably could yeah like, and we can't do a part two later on but, uh, <laughs> um what I'll do, I'll make sure that um, I'll get all of these links, I'll get them off here afterwards, I'll get all the links, I'll put them on, mm-hmm. the Voxology, everything else. And, and so, you know, I'll do a brief summary of, uh, of you to go with the podcast and also the links to, to your great work as well. Oh, and, just let, uh, let me know what you need. Yeah, and I, I just thank you, Cathy. Thank you so much for being That's so right. And uh, no. I really appreciate okay. it and I really enjoyed it. So um, thanks a lot. That's all right. Thank you for giving me the time as well. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Bye. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers. But some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job. This is a calling.